Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special midterm 2022 recap brought to you by our government relations and public affairs team here at Hogan Levels. Uh, my name is Troy Cornell, a member of our government relations team, and I am joined by my distinguished colleagues this morning, Senator Norm Coleman and Ivan Zapian. Uh, today, we're going to cover some simple questions like what happened last Tuesday? What does a divided government mean for the president's agenda, for legislation? For oversight. Uh, so, Senator, you, you were watching TV last week. Many expected this big red wave. And in the end, Republicans barely retook control of the House and Democrats kept control of the Senate. So tell us what happened last Tuesday. Well, certainly Republican expectations were not met. Um, a couple of things happened, by the way, that, that always happened. Uh, things tend to break in one direction or the other. In this instance, they broke the Democrats. Uh, it's very clear that, that, uh, that the president and his team did better uh, in this midterm than perhaps and, you know, historically, you know, kind of defied all the odds. Uh, because typically in midterm elections, uh, it's a referendum on the party in power. The president's numbers are low. Inflation is high. Crime is a problem. And yet, uh, in, in spite of that, Democrats managed to keep control of the Senate uh, and uh, Republicans barely I get control of the house, but they do get control of the house. We can talk about the policy implications of that, you know, a little little down the road. Uh, Republicans have the, the, the speaker's office; they'll have the uh, the sheriffs. Uh, you know, subpoenas don't come in in small, medium, or large size. They come in the size of the, the, the chairman wants them to come in, and Republicans will have those chairmanships in the house. But all that setting down really was, you know, clearly a, a good night for Democrats. I can tell you because. I actually chair an organization called Congressional Leadership Fund, which uh, kind of the, the kind of the main third party group supporting House Republican candidates, probably you know, spent over $300 million total in this cycle. We anticipated that Republicans would win the seats that, that Biden carried by what we call a D plus five, that those should have been all Republican seats. And that we even saw then from the polling possibilities of moving into the more Democrat controlled areas and even looking at, at you know, beyond the, the D plus five to 10, but, you know, further on, even even stronger Democrat areas. And that didn't happen. Uh, and and just a, a couple of observations. Uh, um, part of it, I think that we underestimated the, the power of the abortion issue. I think the abortion issue did have an impact. I think it mobilized the Democrat base and, and uh, that made a difference. Uh, part of it where we also didn't prevail is that we had weak tops of the ticket. We had strong, uh, the Republicans having a strong top of the ticket, such as in Florida, uh, or where in New York, Lee Zeldin ran a stronger race than anticipated. Both didn't prevail. But I think we picked up, what, perhaps five seats in New York. We, we dominated in Florida. But where we had weak, uh, weak candidates, the Mastriano's in, in Pennsylvania, not only did we lose races that we thought we could win, races that were close, but we fully anticipated picking up. Uh, but many months, you know, then goes down to Fetterman. And, and I, I think my own belief is if that if Mastriano uh, doesn't lose by 15 points, that Mehmet Oz becomes the, the, the senator uh, from Pennsylvania. So uh, we top of the ticket. Uh, and, and just one other observation is I really do think and I join those and say that this this election was, uh, which is a positive, a rejection of 
we don't want the president. We, we don't want us. So remember, we had weak candidates uh, that, that didn't appeal to independents. Uh, a bulldog in, in New Hampshire, a Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Uh, then lose, and, and, and in the end, we then lose some of the House races and other, you know, uh, and a Senate race uh, that, that are impacted by the top of the ticket. So I, I, there's a lot more to be said about what happened, but, you know, those are just some quick observations. And with that, I'll yield to my Democrat colleague, uh, Mr. Zapian. Yes, uh, thanks, uh, Senator, and great to be with you, Troy. Um, you know, I think this is probably the most fun part about, you know, being a lobbyist, right, because we tend to um, spend the last, you know, six weeks sort of emotionally vested in elections and who's going to win, who's going to go down. But now the fun part begins, right, which is we have to figure out how to navigate the new terrain for our clients. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the road for our profession. Um, so we're, we're in a very uh, fun period of time. And I, and I would say two things, just to, as a high level observation. Number one, you know, I, I do think that um, this is not settled yet in terms of uh, both parties really understanding what happened in the elections. I think it's going to take two, four, six weeks, maybe, for people to get really into the data. One of the things that you see election over election year after election year is that some of the demographic changes, both good and bad, that you think happened during the elections actually don't bear out once the, 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 the data is final. So I think there's still there's still more to learn, but here's what I think we as Democrats um, uh, sort of perceive in this election cycle that's instructive to how to think about the future. You know, I think first the big headline for Democrats is you know um, hard work and bold decisions, right? So I, I I think candidates across the board worked really hard. I'll give an example in in uh, Nevada, Cortez Masto, you know, in a very tough environment after two years of COVID shutdown, you know, she she worked hard. She, you know, I always said that she was one of the candidates that was going to be working hard and she worked to the bone. And I think that if you look at her victory, her victory, which may be somewhere between five and 10,000 votes, that was just hard work from the culinary union people on the ground grinding it to it. So they never, they never gave up. You can see a lot of examples of candidates that defy the odds because they worked hard. And, and that's, that's a testament to a lot of different campaigns. Second, I think, we, you know, you, there were a lot of bold decisions. Uh, I would highlight two, you know, Fetterman taking the courage to actually get on stage, you know, and debate, which everybody said was a mistake, turned out to be a big plus. People saw somebody with courage, saw somebody that they could identify with, and they didn't actually think that it was a bad thing that he was trying as hard as he could, given his circumstances. Katie Hobbs, on the opposite side, deciding not to debate in Arizona. Very bold. Every Democrat said that she was making a huge mistake. And in fact, she ended up winning probably because she didn't debate. So, you know, I think there was a lot of hard work, a lot of bold decisions. I think secondly, you know, I've always said that in order to predict what's going to happen in the election, you have to know what the electorate is going to look like. And I think we missed what the electorate was going to look like this time around. And we certainly missed what the top issues were going to be. So, you know, I think first and foremost, what you saw in this election cycle is that the January 6th commission actually did a really solid job. You know, it took what should have been an esoteric issue among most American electorate, which is to save American democracy, and made it a very powerful uh, issue that moved independents and moderates to Democrats. You know, the second issue, which we thought 
was going to be in play, which is abortion, ended up being do so. Uh, ended up being so. So I think the environment actually was better for Democrats than we thought. Lastly, it's just luck. You know, sometimes you just get. Sometimes it's better lucky than better to be lucky than good. You know, we had luck because, you know, we don't have anything to do with picking the Republican candidates. And I think a lot of the Republican candidates, you know, provided uh, a situation where we were able to defend a lot of seats and pick up a lot of votes that we probably wouldn't have had. I, I just an observation, and, and I agree with that, even though we got to kind of look at the data and kind of see this later on. But the, one of the realities in politics is if you win an election, you're a genius, you know, it was smart for betterment that you debate. If you lose an election, you're a moron. Uh, again, I, I believe, by the way, if Mastriano doesn't lose by 15%, if the top of the ticket is at 15 points behind, that all that Oz is in the winner. And of course, then folks would say, well, better than debating was, it was a terrible idea. Uh, so in the end, we'll kind of look at the data, but uh, clearly tops of the ticket do matter. Uh, you know, uh, Kansas being so strong, we had a strong showing in Florida. Uh, even the, by the way, the J.D. Vance was, was impacted by the, uh, the, the big showing of Mike DeWine. In Ohio, and so uh, again, you know the rallies. If you win a race, every move is genius, and then if you lose, doesn't matter how much by how much you lose by, everything you did was really foolish. So uh, we'll look at the data and we'll kind of sort this out. But in the end, the world belongs to those who show up, and a lot of folks showed up on on, on Tuesday night uh, and, and voted Democrat that we didn't think would because of, you know, the state of the economy, the state of inflation, crime, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we still need to do a little sorting out. Yeah, just one last thing to tack on, because I agree with Norm. I mean, I've, you know, I've always said, and, you know, uh, I would say it differently. I've, I've always said that winning campaigns and losing campaigns look a whole, whole lot of like two days before the election, right? Okay. Um, you know, and it's just luck of the luck of the draw as to who uh, ends up, you know, having a long week and who has a great week. So I think, I think part of it is, you know, part of it is that, you know, we, we put too much into the prediction game leading up to the campaigns and ultimately, you know, we're always reminded that the voters are actually the ones that decide this thing. And sometimes they break in different directions and in ways that you can't predict. I will say, though, that I think part of, for the Democrats, part, you know, part of the story will be once everything is tabulated is, you know, I, I think, you know, I think it's definitely true that moderates and independents broke hard. For Democrats, why that was what what happened, you know, like that's for political scientists to to say, and they'll, they'll they'll come up with different theories. I will say that there is different sort of there's different um, statistics out there as to how big the youth vote was, but it was pretty big, and it was very big and very key races for Democrats. So we had a we had a, a surge in, in young voters, and I will say. The third thing that I think was was interesting, you know, is that um, what's something Senator Coleman alluded to, which I don't think I've seen in modern politics. There was a lot of split ticketing, right? So, you know, that that has implications for the future, you know, um, because there was, you know, there was there was there was definitely there was definitely split ticketing, and you could see huge differences in the vote counts, for example, between between um, Kemp and Walker, between um, Kelly in Arizona, you know, and, and Kelly Lake, um, you know, so there's, you know, it, it's a real thing. I think the electorate is starting to become more opinionated and picky about who they vote for and not, not as dogmatic, you know, within the independents and moderates, which I think has implications down the line for both parties. Well, now we need to talk about sort of what's happening or rather what's going to happen from January forward, right? We talk about the divided government uh, and now we have 
the president's agenda to think about. We have legislation we need to think about, and then we need we have oversight that we need to think about. So, Senator Coleman, what what's gonna what what's the impact of all of this going to be on the president's agenda? And then we'll also love your comments on on the legislative activity that we expect, and also oversight. So, so the, so the president's agenda is dead in Congress, uh, and absent some something that says they were going to operate in a bipartisan way, but uh, tax increases are dead. Uh, putting Green New Deals and reconciliation packages to dead reconciliation is probably dead, unless you really can form a bipartisan bill. And when I say that, it's because Republicans control the House uh, and you need, the, you know, the House to get reconciliation, to get that through, et cetera. So uh, you'll see a lot more activity in, in the executive. You're going to see more executive orders. You're going to see the administrative, administrative agencies, I think, being, you know, bolder and more active because that's the things that they can control. Uh, I, I think that uh, the, the investigation side is, is going to be ramped up both from a Democrat and Republican perspective. And I'll be very candid here. If, if you're a big tech company, uh, I, I think you're going to get hit from the left and the right. If you're a business that does dealings in China, I think you're going to get hit from the left and the right. Uh, and by the way, perhaps from, you know, on some of these things, you may get hit from different perspectives. You know, so the Republicans are concerned about the Democrats are concerned about lack of content moderation. Republicans are concerned about big tech controlling content. Uh, and, and so you may get to see this from the House and the Senate uh, where that's shooting at you from two different sides. But uh, I think for the for the investigation, every, you tell you from a Republican perspective, that over 20 committees, every one of them will be looking at oversight. And they're going to be looking, some, a little bit looking back, you know, what happened in, in Afghanistan. You know what happened with COVID origin, so that doesn't happen again. Uh, but but you're going to have every, every your oversight is going to be a big deal, uh, and, and so I think you know our clients, you know corporate America, this, uh, businesses really need to kind of look at kind of what's their exposure, uh, what other things that that may generate concern, you know from from members of Congress. But I think you're going to see a, a lot more active oversight, a lot more on the investigation side. That's what Congress can do. I don't think you're going to see a lot of, of, of unfortunately, I would hope that they'd be bipartisan. I mean, the president was asked, what is going to do different? And he said nothing. Uh, and if he does nothing different, then you're not going to get a lot done. You'll get a, a national defense authorization bill. you got to get funding bills through. You know, there may be tax extenders. But I, I think the legislative agenda in terms of actually getting these is going to be difficult, limited, unless there is a change in perspective. If the president does what Bill Clinton did, which is all of a sudden tax, a, you know, after a tough a midterm election, uh, work hand in hand with Newt Gingrich, and they did welfare reform, they did a range of things together. But unless you see a change in style and change in tact, contrary to what the president articulated, I think you'll see more limited uh, legislative agenda. I think you'll see much more oversight, both the House and the Senate. Uh, and I think you'll see more action in terms of executive orders and more action within the agency. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I think, um, Troy, you, again, going back to where we are in, in the congressional transition, we're, we're very, very much 
in an insider period of a congressional leadership transition, right, which is there are leadership races, both in the House and the Senate, um, you know, uh, having worked in the House of Representatives, you know, leadership races are um, probably as fun as the World Cup is, you know, although it happens every two years. Um, so there's a lot of palace intrigue. And, you know, of course, you know, the, you know, the, the headlines about who's going to be the speaker and who's going to be the majority leader on both sides. But the, the jockeying goes all the way down to who's going to be the deputy chairman of policy and who's going to be you know the ranking member on this subcommittee so you know there's there there's nothing more fun than to watch all you know of the house of representatives sort of you know jockeying for positions among their own colleagues so i i, I think right now i i you know I, I i tell clients and i tell you know people that have been asking me uh, you know I, I say look in this period of time you know we're a number one in a period of time where people are trying to establish what governance looks like for the next two years number one you know number two you know i i think that you know depending on which which um sort of lessons each party leadership you know take from what happened in the elections which won't take won't happen for a couple of weeks that that'll definitely set the tone for uh, what the legislation looks like. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I think President Biden, you know, President Biden has so far been the single most un underestimated politician, you know, in the last decade, right? So, you know, it's, 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 very, it's very hard for me to write off his legislative agenda um, uh, right off the bat, uh, but nonetheless, it will be more difficult for him. I think, you know, I think House Democrats, you know, being in the minority of two or three or four, um, you know, are going to be in an interesting position, you know, to, um, to put pressure on what comes off what comes off the floor and what doesn't um i we we saw nancy pelosi who's you know once in a generation uh you know uh, political talent governed very efficiently with a tiny minority so it's a very difficult job so the focus on investigations etc i think no doubt will take place in the house of representatives to what extent you know, that stays the, the course for time. That's, you know, that's their decision. If they think that's the best way to sort of put themselves in a situation where when the presidency in 2024, that's that's what they should do. I do anticipate, though, that in, in, in the Senate, I think, you know, in the Senate, I think one of the lessons that I've heard from a lot of Democrats and certainly the last couple of days is that, you know, they, they, they I, I do think that they've taken somewhat of a different lesson, which is that people want some work done, that people want um, you know, that, that they want some legislation sort of to move forward. And, you know, it, and I say that with the caveat, knowing that, you know, this is 2022, right? So it's not 1984, where you had people that, you know, would rip each other's, you know, uh, throats out and then go have a beer afterwards. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very different environment. But I don't, on the Senate side, anticipate, you know, a, I don't anticipate them bringing up the, taking up the mantle of continuing the January 6 hearings. I don't think they, and they, they take up any new particular subject matters. I do think the Senator is right in terms of the substance of the investigations. But, you know, the Senate, 
you know, the Senate has some investigations, but at the end of the day, it's never been seen, seen itself as an investigatory body. So I do anticipate that they will continue to try and legislate and try to get there. And, and does that mean that they get there? No, but it also it does mean that, you know, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats are going to try and set a different tone. And, and, you know, I think Mitch McConnell, hearing what he says, you know, is in the same boat. Whether that means they get anything or not, it's about how they spend their time and how they project an image you know, to the country. So I think, I think we have a little bit of ways to go before we actually know what the, what the focus of the, uh, of the Democratic Senate is going to be. And I think we have a little bit of ways to know what exactly is how the, the House of Representatives is going to play out. And let me just uh, kind of uh, touch on a couple points that uh, my colleague has made. Uh, but I'm a part of the Senate and, and, and uh, you know, by its nature, it's more difficult to get things done, but it does require uh, a more bipartisan approach. You typically have to get to 60, you know, except where they change the rules in terms of nominations uh, and reconciliation. It's, it's you, you got to get to 60. And uh, that means that you got to, you know, try to figure out a way to work together so you can you can get to 60 only and build this anti-China is certainly more challenging. And, and by the way, that may not be so bad. Uh, you know, kind of the, uh, one of the worst things in government is, is the sin of unintended consequences. You do something and you don't know the impact. So the Senate always operates more slowly, more deliberately. And I think that's a good thing. I, I do want to kind of draw a distinction between, quote, investigations for their name, for their own sake, and oversight. I mean, I really truly believe that, that that's what the House is going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at you know, a, a responsibility, I believe they have with the new majority, uh, to do oversight, to, to, you know, concerned about what's happening on the board, concerned about what agencies are doing. So, and I think that's a legitimate function. American people understand that. You know, the question is how far are they pushing, uh, whether it's, a, you know, personal attacks, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but, but the concept, yeah, I think you're just going to see a lot more oversight uh, in the House uh, for a whole range of reasons, and committees all have that power. So, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I, I, I don't. But but ultimately, in the end, I think we get judged and, and, and a senator certainly bring this to the to the table is, is what can we get done? We're here to serve the American public. Are there, are there and I would hope that that folks are going to kind of struggle to come together to figure out a way to say, how do we solve these problems? How do we make life better? My constituent living in St. Paul, Minnesota uh, or Boise, Idaho, whatever. So. Uh, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm hopeful. I think the Senate is structured that way. Uh, I think folks understand that in the end, it's not kind of what you fight about, but it's what you, you deliver. And I do think this election was one in which the center actually showed some strength. Uh, I, I think Republicans have to be looking at this and saying, we didn't do well with the independents or candidates who were seen to be seen, seen to be seen outside the mainstream. They didn't win. They didn't get elected. And, and so I would hope that kind of looking at the electoral reality will also be a force that kind of moves people to find some common ground where they can. But again, it will be difficult. We have divided government. And divided government, before I started this conversation, it's going to be hard to get a lot of things passed legislatively. Yeah, you know, one, one thing that I to add, because, um, you know, I, I, I agree with um, Senator Co Coleman's assessment of, you know, what the response, what everybody's responsibility is to do. And, you know, as, as I think about the new terrain, and I think about, um, you know, what what lies ahead, and I try to predict for clients and, you know, and, and folks that, you know, I ask what, you know, how to think about the future, you know, I, you know, I, I tend to hope and think, 
that it's possible that this is going to once again be a uh, Congress where the gangs and the working groups um, uh, play a big role. Right. So, uh, you know, the 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 whatever in the Senate, it's usually the gang of eight or the gang of 12 or the gang of six or whatever it is, you know, just people essentially that's probably, you know, a, a not very good term for a group of bipartisan senators that are trying to work something out to get something done. Right. Um, I think in the House of Representatives. You know, I think because of the partisan nature, the, the you know, the problem solvers caucus, the moderate caucus, those groups, you know, I, I think will can have a, a bigger role in terms of brokering things to get to the floor. Helpful, of course, to both both leaderships, right? Because if you're in, you know, if you're in a situation where you're trying to move something, you know, but, you know, because of certain parts of your caucus, neither are able to move them together. You know, if you can get a group of bipartisan, you know, uh, folks, uh, again, you know, look, I'm not naive. I understand the situation where we are, but I'm, you know, like Senator Coleman, I'm an eternal optimist. And I do think that there's nobody that's going to go up to Washington, D.C. and say, you know, for the next two years, all we're going to do is yell at each other and yell at people and and try to position ourselves for the, you know, for, for, for the next election. You know, none of these, you know, as I like to tell my, you know, my, my friends and, and clients, right? Like none of us are getting, are getting any younger. And number two, you know, like, Companies have to go through two fiscal years, you know. So you're in the if you're in the private sector, and you're in the private sector. You, you got no room to go back to your board of directors and say like, well, you know, why something didn't happen is you know why this did this problem didn't get solved is because you know uh, because Washington is dysfunctional or because you know we did this or we did that. I mean, you know, if you're in the private sector, you got no choice but to figure out how to make things work. And I hope and I hope that Congress is going to get themselves in that situation. You know, otherwise, you know, we're 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 going to be you know we're we're going to go through some really challenging times for everybody ahead. And and you know, without a functional Congress, you know, it's 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 hard to see how some problems get solved. I want to get some closing thoughts from the both of you, specifically on oversight, because uh, this is something that's been discussed out in the open by several members of both chambers uh, during the midterms. Um, uh, Republican House, Democratic Senate, um, Ivan, sort of your closing thoughts specifically on oversight. You know, so I so I think it's going to take different forms. Um, you know, I think Democrats traditionally have been, you know, sort of focused on oil and gas, you know, tech, you know, private equity. I think that's going to continue. Um, uh, you know, the, the the sort of normal areas in which they take, you know, they they take a look at and and tend to use their gavel. Um, but you know, my prediction on the Senate side is even if Herschel Walker loses and Reverend Warnock is the Democrat because the 51, 51, I, you know, I, 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 I find it hard to see a situation where they're constantly using a subpoena. Um, I, I think they're going to continue with, um, you know, their oversight and hearings, bringing in people like they have traditionally, but I don't, you know, I don't, you know, as, as I, in, in preparation for this, I talked to a lot of people and, you know, I couldn't find anybody that thought that the tenure and tone and, and, and it would change as they'll, they'll continue to do what they've been doing for the last, you know, decade in, in, in their responsibilities. And of course, this all changes every time when there's a headline in the newspaper, right? So if there's headline in the newspaper of something catastrophic occurring or something that is affecting your constituents, you bet. 
right, that they're, the Democrats are going to be really aggressive, but that's not the tone and it's definitely not the message that I think they want to send. They're already, you know, they're, they're already, you know, they're, they're already traditionally, you know, into certain areas of oversight in the private sector. And I, and I could, and I believe they'll continue to be so. So I'll, I'll just kind of, kind of jump in and then close and, and uh, but, but again, being a product of the Senate, and by the way, a product of the Senate time that we actually kind of worked together in a bipartisan way. I chaired the permanent sector investigations. Carl Levin was my ranking for four years, and he was chair when the Democrats took over in 2006. I was ranking. Uh, we got a great working relationship. He, we just approached things from a different perspective. You know, he, Look at more government regulation, more government oversight, more government involvement. I was looking at private sector approach. We both wanted in the end to have every child and family to be the best they can be and build an America that is strong and prosperous for everyone. Same goals. I, I think my colleagues in, in, in the sense will have that. It, 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 and you may not see that when you watch C-SPAN where you see them arguing all the time. But in the end, I, I think you know people want to kind of build a better America. We just simply have different ways to get there. Uh, so you'll see oversight, and you know, in, in terms of, of climate, I mean, Democrats will have one perspective about climate. The, the Republicans will have another. I, I talked about big tech before. Uh, you know, Democrats look at content moderation; they want to see more. Republicans look at content moderation, and you know, want to see less. Uh, but you know, big tech's going to come before uh, Congress. No question about that. They, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be hearings, and and. Uh, they're going to be asking kind of how you're operating, you know, what forms that you using, are you, you know, uh, uh, prohibiting speech, are you moderating speech, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, ESG uh, will, will be an issue. Uh, you know, a number of Republican senators and leaders in the law firm saying, what will your records? So, you know, we want to be checking to see whether you're violating antitrust by, uh, you know, mandating corporations, the corporations kind of working together. Of antitrust, so Democrats have a different perspective. But you know, my hope is, is that you know, the folks do try to find a way to work together to, to solve problems, understand that there may have different approaches. Again, the House is just a different beast. It really, the House is you know shirts and skins, it's jets and sharks. It's it's one side or the other. And, and though, yeah, I, you know, my Ivan has mentioned you know problem solvers caucus. I I hope that happens, but uh, the, the House is, you know, even with thin majorities, uh, and in the end, winner takes all. Uh, and and uh, so I suspect you're going to see, again, what I call oversight, not necessarily just investigations, investigations sake, but really, you know, checking the agencies, you know, are, are they doing what needs to be done to provide border security? Homeland security, or do we in fact have open borders? Is fentanyl being poured into this country? You know, without the, the, the kind of the, uh, limitations and, and guarding, you know, things at the border that would limit that. So I think you'll see, you know, some more aggressive oversight. Probably each and every congressional committee will probably devote a portion of its budget to oversight. Uh, and, and in our clients, they just simply have to be aware of that. Uh, but in the end, again, let me end on the optimistic note. Uh, first of all, there's another election in two years. <laughs> and so folks uh, need to understand as they move forward that what they do now is going to kind of be the people are going to have a chance to judge that in a couple of years. And I hope uh, my former colleagues take that to heart. And, and I hope that they kind of look at what is it that the people need and are we doing the things that kind of make life better for all Americans. So that's the challenge. I think it's going to be tougher for the president. Again, I don't think he, he does not have the ability to move things through Congress. Uh, in a 50-vote uh, majority in the Senate, 
Uh, and then by a two or three vote majority in the House, the House will now be a check and balance on what the administration tries to do. So it's going to be a little more, it's going to be a little more challenging, a lot more challenging. Uh, and uh, let us all hope that uh, those folks who represent us uh, kind of uh, focus in the end and making life better for all of us. And, and uh, that, that's, that's my fervent prayer. Well, I think we have a lot of bipartisan agreement on 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 that, right? And between certainly between yourself, Senator and Ivan, and certainly myself, hoping for a lot of cooperation. And uh, I want to thank you both so much uh, for sharing your insights. And hopefully, the audience now knows what happened last Tuesday. Uh, and <laughs> so, uh, th thank you everyone for listening today. Uh, and bye for now. Thank you, thank you, thanks, Troy. Ivan, always a pleasure, my uh, my my dear friend and colleague. Likewise. Thank you.